Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend, we watch an episode of the classic sitcom The Facts of Life, and then I hit record, and we get to talking about the show, about anything the show makes us think about, and anything that the things that the show makes us think about makes us think about. It's, it's just, it's a lot of talking. Yeah. My guest this week is Stephen Miller. Steve is not just a talented friend of mine. He's actually my bestie. He's my BFF, the closest of my closest friends. He has been an actor and a voiceover artist. He's a very gifted writer, an amazing playwright, a published playwright, actually. And uh, I will add, in spite of being my bestie, he is also super smart. Hmm. Steve and I watched Season 4, Episode 7, A Woman's Place. And we actually did this uh, and recorded this on Christmas night. That is how much we care about you, my fives of listeners. And that is how difficult scheduling things is around the holidays when you're an actor in Central Florida. And if you can't hear the wear and tear on my voice, (laughs) that should tell you everything you need to know. The original air date of this episode was November 24th, 1982, and I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, hello. Hello. Welcome to my house. (laughs) I've never been here before. Isn't it nice? Foreign land. (laughs) Now, uh, with a name like Steve Miller, I'm sure no one has ever made the joke uh, about the Steve Miller band. Constantly. And I'm, now we've got that butthead in the uh, current administration. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, the racist? What? Uh, we, we, we don't talk about him. Oh. He doesn't exist. Oh. No, no, no. I'm talking about the racist in the administration who, who shares my name. Oh, okay. We don't talk about him. Okay. We don't talk about any of that. La, okay, la, good, la, la. Good. We just, we, we sit in our bubble, put our fingers in our ears and go, and la, 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 la. Watch 80s sitcoms. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes, exactly. I and we. It. <laughs> we talk about Mrs. Garrett's bun. Right. Um, so uh, we just watched season four, episode seven, right. called A Woman's Place. And of course, for those who may actually not know what that is a reference to. Super old phrase. Old woman's, phrase. Yeah, woman's place is in the home. Correct. Right. And it was like 1900s, 1910s, wasn't it? Like it was really early. Uh, I mean... I guess. I mean, I suppose it might have been initially a phrase just about, you know, where you belong. You know, a dog's place is in your lap, a woman's place. But I, I think feel it like... had something to do with the vote. Oh, did it have to do with the... I really do. The vote in the yeah, 20s. Yeah, women shouldn't get involved in 10s. So when did the women get the right to vote? Was it 1919. Tw- okay, or I was... 1920. Okay, so it's either 1928 and the 19th Amendment... Or 1919 and the 20th Amendment. It's 1920 and the 19th That's Amendment. That's why I said 20s, because, okay, there it is. But there's also a part of me that thinks it may have been part of the backlash of the women's lib movement in the 70s, where women were suddenly like, we want to be part of the workforce. We want to have our independence. And I feel like it was, it, it morphed into a conservative, uh, misogynistic, m- misogynistic um, chant sort right. of a thing, where it's like, uh, no, a woman's place is in the home. Right, and the phrase was born in the 1910s. Okay, so it had to do with women trying to... In the 1910s, women were trying to do crazy shit like, you know, 
I want to I want to leave the house when <laughs> yeah. when I want to. Not when my husband says yeah, I can. Yeah, I would certainly and, like to have my own land and my own pay. And yeah. yeah. And and a credit card without my name on, without my husband's yeah. name on it, and and they did win that in the seventies. Yeah, in our yeah. lifetime, Ooh. women could not. It's it boggles the fucking mind, and sometimes it feels like we're going back to those days. But right. back to that talk about the administration that we won't talk about. Yes. Um. So as um as a person of a certain age like me, you're are you comfortable divulging your age sure. to the masses? Sure, I'm younger than you. You are <laughs> <laughs> not by much. You are uh, almost exactly a year younger. Yeah, than a I. year in yeah, less um, than a year. Eleven days. No, a year. Uh, eleven days less than a year. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. If if I could subtract eleven from three sixty five, that would be. I would totally do that. 354. Uh, that's why I'm an actor. I don't do math. Nice. But um, so you are uh, about a year younger than I am. So did you grow up watching the show? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the thing is, in my family, my stepmother controlled the television. We had one television. Um, uh-huh. My stepmother controlled it. And this was one of the shows that we would watch. Oh. So, yes. So she liked this. All right. Good. Yeah. Was there any issue or backlash or uh, with the fact that it dealt with such issues? The fact that it would deal with it. There was an episode about abortion. There was an episode about Remember suicide. that my stepmother is the one who let me watch the first TV showing of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was nine years old. Oh. Yeah, so that's the same stepmother. So, okay, no, yeah. she didn't care. Television was actually kind of a safe space. Okay. Because if we just shut up and watch it, we were fine. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Before we begin really pulling this thing apart... Not unlike the way Joe pulls apart Porsche. Right. It's a lot of peas. Um, Steve Miller, would you please give me a one to two sentence TV guide style synopsis of the episode, What Did We Just Watch? Um, Joe succeeds as succeeds in her new job at a uh, motorcycle repair shop mm-hmm. until she's made a manager. Mm-hmm. I'd leave it at that. Let, oh. let, let the mystery evolve a little bit. You know? Yeah. Wow. Spoken like a true playwright, Steve. Or, or someone who does helps people become managers. <laughs> Let's get right into this, why don't we? We are going to start in the cafeteria. Clearly, it is on a weekend because the girls, we do not have a, an Eastland uniform at no. all. No. It's all street clothes, so this is a weekends only episode. Right. So clearly, we are starting on a... Uh, I guess it's a Friday night because yes. we have two additional days. Right. And doesn't Blair say the car needs to be fixed by next Friday? That's true. That's yeah. possible. So um, at the cafeteria, Natalie is hitting the books. And Mrs. Garrett walks by and says she's very impressed. You're, you've been, your head's been in that book for hours. Yes. And it turns out Natalie is suddenly a, a psychology freak. Right. She's studying psychology and she's suddenly like loving how twisted and weirdly the human brain operates. Right. And that's going to come back to haunt us for this entire episode because literally the only humor, I should say one of the main sources of humor in the show is Natalie interjecting during these tense moments her quick psychology analysis. And it, there's one point uh, later on where they're just having a big old fight, and she just pops in and just says, he's upset. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we, we got that, Nat. 
Um, Tootie enters. It, it looks like Tootie has some sort of a scale model. Like she might be designing. Yeah, I, I, oh, that, I did see that. It looked like a set. Yeah, like she was designing a set, set. for theater class. That's. I'm impressed, writers. They usually don't get that deep into yeah. it. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, and it doesn't, it's never noted or referred to, but yeah, it does look like a little bit of like a, like a set design thing that she's doing. And good, because she's studying theater and will be going on to do that. Um, but the one thing we have talked about, it's the weekend, and it's like the girls at the school clearly don't eat on the weekends. They're never working. And right. They act like it's just this extra, like it's like schoolwork or a job. It's but like, it's a boarding school, so you would think that they would need to eat on the weekends. Three meals a day, seven days a week. Right. But, yep. And with Tootie there, it's just reinforcing uh, the psychology thing. She's like, hey, Nat, what's that? She says, gestalt. Bless you. <laughs> wow. Oh, Anytime that's... anyone says a German word and someone else says bless you, it's such a timely joke. Yeah, timely, as in it's been around for the longest time. Yes. Thank you, vaudevillian writers. But um, so that's pretty much it. We've just established that Natalie is into her psychology. Then Joe comes in, and Joe has got a boy with her. A boy who's, yeah. Who's just... got his arm around her. So it's clearly a, like, a person that she is seeing romantically. And it's like, oh, what is this? We've never seen this boy before. His name is Doug. His name is Doug. And the actor who plays him is... Dean Simone. Dean Simone. And you, and said, you said you recognize... I didn't have a chance to look him up. So I, this is horrible because every so often I'll catch a commercial and I'll be... That's a very particular face. And he's actually the actor who portrays Jim Beam in all the Jim Beam commercials. What? Yeah, that's exactly who it is. His name is Dean Simone and he is Jim Beam in all the new Jim Beam commercials. It's not particularly that I drink... Because um, I really don't. It's he's Jim Beam. Wow, he's still working too. He's still got credits and hopefully. Ah! Ah! <laughs> it's a turtle. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm just scrolling through pictures of Dean Simone, and suddenly Mitch McConnell shows up, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's the Jim Beam. Oh my goodness! Yeah. See, I'm not a drinker at all, so that would have that's certainly nothing I would have ever picked up on. And but, hopefully a better actor here than he was in this little part of his. Oh. I think he was fine. Oh, okay. I think he was... Okay, you disagree. All right. No, no. His, his, his lack of reaction toward anything anyone was saying. That's oh. sort of dead eye. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that little stone face type of a thing. Um, anyhow, uh, what we learn is that Joe and this guy work together at a local... Um, I guess it is a motorcycle shop, but... Joe later will be repairing a car there. So it's, yeah, but it's technically a bike, bike shop. shop. Yeah, um, it's always a good thing to date your coworkers. I think that's you know, yeah, they just <laughs> gloss right over that, right? They just yes. gloss right over while wow, you're dating your coworker. Yeah, coworker. But honestly, it's like you're in high school and it's a weekend job. Yes, date your if you want to date your fucking do it. This is the time. Don't do oh, it when you're forty. Right. <laughs> it's like that's when it's a bad idea. But yeah. this, it's like ah, why the fuck not do it? Jesus. Um. So, but the the news that they've come in with, they're very happy about, is that Joe had repaired some type of a bike, and Doug is there to verify that the boss was impressed, and he usually doesn't even show emotion at all. So yeah. this was a big deal that Joe is doing well at her job, and it is being noticed. Right. And what does the boss say that's really impressed? It's like, huh. 
I mean, the, he goes, huh, it works. Yeah, huh, it works. And they're that's, like, that's, that's, that's such a big deal. And he's like, that's what he said when his wife had their baby. Yes, that was but that was a good joke. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Um, so, but it's like, and, and clearly Doug is like, yeah, Joe is awesome. Like, it's like, yeah. she did great because Joe is awesome. So this is like, oh, they work together and they respect each other. Right. And and, and yet they, they acknowledge that the boss is super, super old school, right? Yeah. That he's super, super sexist. It took forever to get him to hire Joe. Joe. Doug six. had to put in a good word. Yes, yes. He said no six times. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is... um. Blair then comes in, and Blair is in a panic. She's freaking out. Long and short of it is, she's borrowing her dad's Porsche this week, and it is his favorite car, presumably of several, and it suddenly has stopped running. And she may or may not have shifted, what did she say, from third third to reverse. reverse. (laughs) (laughs) But before Blair panics, one of the things I love is that Doug comes in and starts explaining how the boss is not a feminist. He's old school and he's not a feminist. And Mrs. Garrett responds by, I've got some pie in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's celebrate. I'm just, you're right. I didn't even think about that. And, and, and it's weird because Mrs. Garrett, and she says, I have a fresh apple pie that needs a reason to be eaten. It's yeah. like, not that you need to feed a student body. No, no. Maybe. Um, but uh, yes, you're so. I didn't even think about uh, that. He's not a feminist. Let's go celebrate by this pie I baked. Then you know, I was like, just eat the kitchen baking. Yeah, exactly. Was that Maybe your... you missed what feminist. Okay, never mind. So uh, among Blair's panic, Joe is like, "Well, what's wrong with it? Maybe I can fix it. Bring it to the shop." And Blair, we have a little interesting. This is the first of several points in the show where Lisa Welchel's Texas twang comes out in right full force. And um, I, I mentioned it, and you said you noticed it too. So it wasn't just me, right? And there's but, a couple places. Yeah, and she says, um, she says, Joe. I, Joe says, I fiddle with Porsches all the time. She says, Joe, I don't need someone to fiddle with it. I need someone to fix it by Friday night. Naya, sounds Naya. Like- <laughs> yeah, you're right. She does say it weird like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wow. And and it does happen later. I'll I, we'll get to it when it happens. And and Blair does say. But she's got an entrance, doesn't she? That whole panic, nobody panic, everyone blah, blah, blah. Mm, Yeah, it's like one of those, woo, you couldn't figure out a better way to have her make an entrance. Yeah, but but the stakes were pretty high. Her dad has cut off her credit cards in the past. And they compare that to capital punishment. And Tootie makes the joke, capital punishment is when they kill you. And she says, yes, like I said, he cut off my credit. Which is a pretty funny joke. Oh, yeah. That's an appropriate to character. We get it. That would be like death. You know what joke I did like at this point? What? Where Blair says, I'll just buy him another Porsche. Yeah. And, and Mrs. Gear says, that won't work. And Blair says, and they just pass by the joke, oh, yeah, it's like the dog. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he'd know the difference. Yeah, he'd know the difference. <laughs> it's like, you, you did that with the dog. Oh. <laughs> it's a really good. They do have a few jokes where they just let him, let him sit there. Yeah. I mean, the implication was not that she had replaced his dog. That would have been hilarious. That that's that's a more modern spin to it. Right. And she said, "No, his car is like his dog. He would know the difference." He but it would. does it does hint that there probably is a story. <laughs> no, but if she said, "Oh no, it would be like that time with, with his dog. dog," yeah, he'd know the difference. Yeah, that would be the that's our rewrite. <laughs> that's our we'll give that note to the writers in our time machine. There's also a. 
Mrs. Garrett, I feel like there's a missed opportunity because Blair says, I'll buy him a new one. And Mrs. Garrett says, Blair, you can't do that. And I wanted her to add a, can you? Like, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Do, do you have that much that fucking much money, money yes, at exactly. your disposal? Could you write a check for a fucking poor? Are you that rich? I wish they'd done it. It would have been totally right and appropriate, yeah. I think. Yeah. But, oh, well. Missed opportunity and uh, could have been a, a laugh for Mrs. Garrett. She doesn't really have that many great moments here. She does have one later. Yeah. Where where does she make that? Um... Oh, she has a one of her shouty lines where she just punches one word in the sentence yes. illogically. I did write I it remember, down. I remember where she made me laugh the most, though. But we'll save that. We'll save okay. that. Okay. Well, good. Um, and just to reinforce how in Joe's corner Doug is, when Joe offers to fix the car and reassures Blair she'll probably be able to get it done, uh, Doug is like, Doug's line, I, I quoted this, they don't come much better than Joe. Not to read anything sexually into that. No. No. But anyway. Dating a coworker. Yeah, exactly. But he leaves, and then we have this lovely... Tootie gets into this mom mode of giving people the third degree of wanting to know what's going on, and it is very funny. And so Tootie is like, what is going on? What is this? What is, what's happening here? Oh, this joke. I love this and, um, oh, 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 and Blair does say... Mrs. Garrett does say, Doug seems to have... Oh, oh, oh. When Doug says, yes, I'll have some of that apple pie you offer, Mrs. Garrett says, well, the boy's got good taste in food and in girls. Right. Meaning she loves that he's with Joe. Um, but at one point, don't they say, um, what is the thing going on between you and Doug? And she says, um, Our it's, relationship just, it's just business. It's and, just business. And Lisa Welchel says, what kind of business is that? Or Tootie says, what kind Tootie of business? says it. What kind of business is that? And, she, and Joe just goes, Mine. Yes, beautiful. One line, That's lovely, all it is. Yeah. lovely, and and not malicious. No, she just—it's very just tossed, mine. tossed off. Mine, nope, none of your fucking business. Love it. Then we move on to the auto body shop, and uh, she and Joe and Doug steal a smooch. Right, and then they come in, and Blair has such a smart entrance line. Yeah, but but, but before that, they do the talk about. The shop is kind of a wreck. Oh, the shop, absolutely, the shop is a wreck. Um, but, but um, and then after the smooch, they talk about their date that they went on the night before. And uh, they mentioned playing Donkey Kong. And I just had to say that because I loved it. That was my jam, My man. brother, my brother Chris. That was his. I, I could play it for, when I find an arcade that has old style machines and I find it, it's like, okay, you just leave me here. You go away for a couple right. hours. Right. I'm Donkey Kong is the fucking shit. I just want to go on record saying that. Um, so then the boss comes in and we meet the boss. This is Mr. Garrow. G-A-R-O. Garrow. 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 Something. Yeah. He's yeah. Eastern European of some sort. Yeah. He's played by, <laughs> here's an actor's name. This is a mouthful. Pierino Mascarino. Pierino Mascarino. Very Italian name. But he's playing him like he's Eastern European or foreign or Something from Europea. Yeah, it sounds I guess. like a medicated cream, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cleared up my rash in just two days. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, so we have an exchange where he walks in and he's and he expresses once again how impressed he is with Joe's work, and he says to her, "You're sure you're a girl, right?" And Joe 
does not take offense to this. She's just like, yeah. See, there were so many chances for jokes. Yeah. Like even the old time, last time I checked. Yeah, I thought for sure they would go to that. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, for whatever reason, but he's like, I'm not sure I believe it. I don't think it is. Uh, and I don't even know what accent I'm doing to do right. it. But, but it's close. Yeah, I'm not but, sure he knew what accent he was doing. Yeah. Anyhow. Vaguely Eastern European. Yeah. Yeah, but um, then then the others, Mrs. Garrett and Tootie and Natalie and Blair, pop on in to say hi. Well, Doug and Joe are kissing. Oh, that's right. They, they steal another smooch. So right. they walk in on the kiss and it's all, ooh. No, and Lisa has this, oh, and the shop's a wreck. And she goes, oh, love among the ruins of a motorcycle shop. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a really funny line because they probably would have read the Robert Browning poem or would have... Yeah, the the movie came out in '75 with Catherine Hepburn and Laurence Olivier. I never saw it. I'm oh, not really? No. Yeah, she's a cougar. Um, she's got a new fiance. Her old fiance comes to sue her for breach of contract, and Olivier is a lawyer, if I remember right, who represents her. But he also used to be a beau of hers, and she doesn't remember him. Oh, wow! I want to say that's the plot. Wow. Okay. And it's a house has hardly anything to do with the Browning poem. So they say they were they wanted to pop on in. And right. and to oh, oh and Natalie And the, Joe pop on in. Or Natalie and, and Tootie Tootie pop on in. They're all there, yeah. Mrs. Garrett. It's, it is Blair. the most awkward let's get them all in the same set where uh, yeah. things can happen. It is so sloppy. I winced. I was just like Yeah, it's true. Um, and so when they's like, we just thought we'd come in and check on the Porsche and Natalie doing them playing up the Jewish thing without the Jewish thing being directly, uh, referenced. Uh, it's like, we thought we would just swing on by and Natalie says, and we're glad we did as she walks over to Doug, like, "Mm, she's looking for a gift for her mother's birthday. In a motorcycle shop. Supposedly, yeah, exactly. So, and then Tootie even references their earlier conversation. Yes, some business relationship. (laughs) And so Blair is horrified at how much of the car is pulled apart and strewn about the shop. Right. And Joe says, Blair, it's part of the process of fixing it. You've got to tear it down to build it up. And Blair says, who are you? The Karl Marx of auto repair? And it's like... Is that really what a high school? Yeah, that's a little that's a little 18, elaborate for yeah an eighteen year old. Yeah, even for the smartest eighteen year old, and Blair is no brainiac. And I know this is another thing that probably only drove me crazy, but there's so much clutter on the set that they basically all have to stand in a line. Yes. Oh my god, it drove me crazy. There were yeah. too many people and too much junk on the set, so they all had to just stand in a line. Yeah, it was an excessively busy... badly badly blocked. Yeah. And, yeah, they maybe could have designed the set to be a little more, uh, to facilitate that better. I agree. So um, then while they're there, there's a thing of Mrs. Garrett, don't touch the tools. Uh, Just extra stuff to try to squeeze in jokes, particularly for Charlotte Ray, because her role is slowly becoming less and less as the series progresses. Right, because, you know, I I think that they realized that they had kind of a family show and that... More people were interested in the kids than Charlotte Ray in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, and the kids were the idea is that you know she's the static one, and the kids are the ones that are evolving, yeah. and that's infinitely more interesting. So then Mr. Garrow comes back and he says, "I've got good news and I've got bad news." And uh, Natalie Rex, has the uh, yeah 
the thing and Natalie is like, you know, he's like, what do you want first? The good news or the bad news? And Natalie's like, bad news. And of course he's like, who the fuck are you and why are you here? Why are any of them there? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, if he really owns the shop and he's such a butthead, he would have just kicked him out. I, yeah, you're right. He, you think for what an overbearing, out. overbearing presence is, he'd be like, you need to leave. Get the fuck out. And yeah, they would have exactly. been like, yep, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> because it's there's barely any logic to being here anyway. So, yes. He says, uh, Rex, the weekend service manager, has quit. And isn't that the point when Mrs. Garrett says, why did he quit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, what? first, they're trying to play up did the joke. Did you know Rex? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is he okay? Yeah, but it's, they're trying to play up this joke of them interfering, these outsiders interfering on this business conversation. So the thing of the, I want the bad news first. Now it's this illogical, why did he quit? And he's like, what? Who the fuck are you people? And he's right. But what it all boils down to is Joe is the new weekend manager. He has promoted her. They're all, yay, that's terrific. And they huddle around her and hug her. And then the scene dissolves to the next scene. Anything else to add for that? Well, except that, you know, for a living, (laughs) I watch a lot of people who are experts at their jobs. Yeah. Then become managers, and they have no people management skills. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me. It happens with teenagers. You know, honestly, teenagers get, you know, bumped up in shop jobs or or jobs in stores and things like that that yeah. they have, and they don't have any people management skills, and they fail. It happens at coffee shops. It happens, honestly, in corporations. It happens left and right. It happens at some big corporations. So you know, there was a little part of me going, "Well, she's gonna fail." Yeah, <laughs> this is. We're and not even that, in the first commercial. This yeah. is. Gonna go well. This isn't gonna go well. Yeah. What is isn't it one of the Dilbert principles yes. of being promoted? It's called the Peter Principle. Oh, Peter Principle. Yeah, you're promoted to your level of ineffectiveness. Yeah. So yeah, if you're good at your job, you get promoted to a middle management. If you're good at middle management, you'll be promoted to upper management. Until you fail. Yeah, basically, yeah. And then they let you sit there. Yeah. Which is oftentimes why they hire me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So the next day. We know this is the next day. And and by the way, I referenced earlier that we have no uniforms. We are all in street clothes this entire time. And honestly, there is nothing. Some of these are repeat outfits we've seen before. And there's really nothing I haven't already said. The same street outfits stuff. D- just listen to every other podcast. Right. Why Do you is, have anything why special? Why is Blair in her grandmother's blouse at the beginning that is such a dowdy ass blouse with the puffy sleeves and, and the, the high pla- it's, plaits and the, it's the a, pleats and the the term i've used before it's a dorothy michaels blouse it is it is because it, is. it comes up to the neck it's like hiding an adam's apple right because she's exactly. a drag queen apparently <laughs> but well, yeah yeah Blair, my grandmother my grandmother would have worn that in 1980 81 82 yeah. my grandmother would have worn that and she's probably the same age of whoever costumed this oh my and, god yeah we've talked and then about Joe's it Joe's shirt the next scene it's ginormous yeah. that linen blue shirt it's like why okay i get that she's manly but that's that thing is ginormous it's huge mm. is that you've said that one before too um well just i mean for Joe why doesn't anything fit why does anything fit? But the thing is with Joe, because she always has like the T-shirt and then the, you know, the lumberjill shirt over it. It's like, you know, they're like, good, no tailoring, off the rack, boom, next. Who's who else do we have to? That costume? shirt was well too large. I I will admit I didn't particularly notice that. I'm not saying 
So, so you I could look it up. Yeah, I no, I, I, I believe you absolutely. Like when she's putting the apron on, it's like obviously the shirt's getting in the way. Yeah, yeah. But we've I've said so many times. There's nothing about any costume here that uh, hasn't already been said by me. So. Um, anything else you want to add as we go along, please do no, so. No, she's good. We're good, because yeah. then we go into the cafeteria, right? No. Now we are at the next day oh, at the bike right. shop, and Doug is slamming stuff around. He is not happy. And uh, he's Dead working. Dead-Eye Doug. Huh? Dead-Eye Doug. Dead-Eye Doug. <laughs> and um, so he's working on one bike doing something, and Joe suggests, well, you know, when it's I think it's the spark plug. It's not the spark plug. And she says, yeah, well, be sure you check the electric too because, you know, one. it could be one or the other. And he's like, and it quickly escalates into him saying, I know what I'm doing. No, it escalates into him. You tell me what to do and I'll do it because you're the boss. And she says, what does that mean? And he says, it means you're the boss. And I'm like, yeah, it does. I'm not sure what you're trying to solicit with that question, Joe or writers. Yeah. Um, but basically, um, she's like, what, what is going on? And he's like, well, everything's changed. And she says, we were, a t- you know, so I thought it was good. We were together. We were a team. We yesterday. were a team. And he says, well, we're not a team anymore. Now I work for you. And then it's just Joe alone. Long, pensive stare. Toward and- all the shit in the shop. <laughs> and then the slow, silent fade. Yeah. And, uh, that's... To the Senka commercial or whatever the hell. To the... <laughs> so during the commercial, Steve uh, Miller, this is when I get to know my guests. <laughs> <laughs> we've known each other for 27 years. 20, is it 27? Six, 27. Yeah. We've, we've been friends longer than some of our friends, friends have, have been, been alive. alive. Yeah. yeah. You are one of the people I probably know the most about. It is very odd to be interviewing you and saying, so Steve, where were you born? Oh, I was born in a small town in Iowa, actually. A, a town in... What What town in Iowa would that be? Creston. Creston. As it is on a crest, right? Between two hills. On, on It's fascinating, fascinating history. When Burlington Northern was building their railroad line, David, David, <laughs> right, between Chicago and wherever the hell they were building it to, literally it was the highest point between the Mississippi and the Missouri River on the line. So, so they went and said, well, let's call it Creston. Yep. And that's, that's exactly how they said it, It too. is a railroad town. It is 7,200 people. It's been 7,200 people from the beginning of time. Because every time a new baby is born, they kill someone. No. So, so for every 20-year-old that leaves, oh. a farmer <laughs> retires. <laughs> that's what happens. Um, and it's not a pretty town. It is. Yeah. You've seen pictures. Uh, I've seen it's pictures. It's pretty. Yeah. Um, so we both know that um, in a family full of rough, you were the diamond. As in... <laughs> they would disagree, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, meaning that your, your family, you have spoken that you come from simple Midwestern, lower class, yeah. working... Uh, GED. Yeah, people. Um, and yet you were... Marijuana possession. DUI. Yeah. Fist fights at funerals. Yeah. Type of <laughs> yeah. family. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I... Drinking. Yeah. They... Oh, do they drink? Oh, so I, in the Midwest? Shocking. What? Shocking. 
we have enough thing, Irish in us that yes, we drink. Yes. <laughs> so you were the anomaly in your family where you were the smart kid you were the bookworm right and i was the one who couldn't keep his mouth shut my little sister said steve none of this stuff would have happened to you if you would have just shut your mouth but i was also a smart ass yeah you're also smart but you were a smart ass because i'm sure it was as a child you realized that in a battle of wits, your family was unarmed against well, you. Uh, someone, <laughs> I mean, really? Someone. So you, for some reason, got the sponge brain gene where you just needed to absorb things and, and you needed to escape. So you, right. you well, ran to books and very quickly became the smart one in your family. I didn't have a police record. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have probation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't break windows. I didn't, you know, you know, I... Didn't, you know, race bicycles into cars, things like that. Yeah. So therefore you were an oddity. I was. And, I was. Uh, and so that took you to uh, a very tiny little college. How far away is Lamoni? About 70 miles. 70 so miles. I could drive back and forth if I ever wanted to go back to Crestman. And for the most part, except for my adopted grandmother, I never did. Yeah. Never wanted to. Yeah. So in Lamoni, Iowa, you went to what school? It's called Graceland University. Go ahead and make the Elvis Presley jokes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just like the Steve Miller band jokes. Yep. Grace. Yeah. Steve Miller went to Graceland. Oh, that that's odd. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. But... um. This was actually a small private college, right? Yeah, liberal arts. Liberal arts college where you majored in what? Uh, communications and theater with an concentrated on writing. So it included playwriting and screenwriting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, I have uh, said many times to many people, one of the best bits of advice I can give to young actors is become good friends with a very gifted playwright. Because then they will write very good roles for you, which you have for many of the shows that we've produced and put together at the Fringe Festival and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So we first met through some theatrical endeavors. And my first day in Orlando, my first full day in Orlando, which was March or May 17th. Of 1993. Yes. Wow. And uh, so, wait a minute. May of 93. It was at the center on Mills. Or on yeah. A, um, yeah. So 50, then, fifty. On yeah. 50. So then, when we met, uh, uh, Wesley was two months old. <laughs> Wesley was born in March, three months old. He was yeah. born in yeah, and already um, dancing. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. But um, uh, yeah. So you and I, we were we were friendly because we were working as part of this this gay theater troupe that right. uh, our friends were putting together called the Hatbox Review. And we did some stuff. We wrote some stuff. We performed some stuff. We went off. We we ended up realizing we connected on our love of movies. Right. And while I was film critic for Watermark. I was um, film critic for Slate, for the Orlando version of Slate, which oh. was an old website slash sort of pro boards sort of thing. But is it the same Slate that's like out of Seattle now? Yeah. The same? Yeah. Oh. But they have different, they had different little regional. Yeah. That makes sense. That's how they started. Yeah. So we quickly started realizing we could go to movies together, and we started comparing notes, and it was actually helpful to write our reviews. And fixing the movies on the way home. Yes. So, and that's why doing this, I'm always like, you know, let's give some notes to the writers. And you've been great because you are so infinitely more versed than I am in all the arts as far as understanding opera and poetry and 
uh, and prose and all the things that I kind of missed because I was home watching the facts of life. You were watching television and I was hiding out in the Matilda J. Gibson library, <laughs> grabbing on to anything that I could grab onto to keep me from having to go home, basically. Yeah, to, you know, or have a nervous breakdown, yeah. <laughs> Because, or watch yeah. my stepmother have one. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but theatrically, you still write. You you performed years ago. We did some performing together. Yeah. There was there was a brief playwrights roundtable. Is a group in town that we've been a part of, uh, and that's a great place to workshop new plays. And I wrote a ten minute play, and through a series of fortunate events. You ended up acting in it, Which and was I was the writer. <laughs> weird sort of Twilight Zone switch. It right? was. So you do still write. We have produced stuff mm-hmm. together that you have written that I performed in. And um, nowadays, you still come to me with these great ideas, with these great shows you have in process. And they're just all in notes, and they just sit in notes. Because, yeah. yeah. Life, except, for, except for the one I'm working on right now. Yeah, life intervenes, and uh, nowadays you have, and you have for many years, worked in the corporate world. And uh, quickly explain what your job is now okay. and how it so perfectly applies to this to episode this. almost like ways. I planned it. <laughs> well, so I do I do leadership management and people enablement learning for Brandles. Uh, it is a global supply chain company. We help people move things from raw goods to manufacturers to stores to customers. Um, largely we do reuse in pallets and containers and things like that. but we also help businesses figure out the best way, the most fuel efficient way, the best way to lower their greenhouse gases to get to zero packaging input. But what I do is I do the people enablement development. So I do um, leadership training, management training. I help them with conflict management. I step in when there's an issue or a problem that they know is coming up mm-hmm. and I help do some learning based on that on how people work with each other. So it's got my sort of organizational psychology side and all that uh, interpersonal communication that I studied in my undergraduate kind of all tied together. And I've been doing that for about 22 years. Yeah. So uh, let us go back to the facts of life. We, okay, we've got Joe, now the boss of her boyfriend, and he's not taking it well. We've got Natalie studying psychology, and all of a sudden, remember the theme here is a woman's place. A woman's place. So all of a sudden it becomes a lot of questions and good questions about... Um, Feminism and how men react and how oftentimes men are hurt because Mm. they're put in situations where it isn't the traditional knuckle dragging sort of (laughs) (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe comes in. She's all upset. She comes into the cafeteria and Blair, of all the people who could give her advice, and maybe she's doing it because she wants to get the porch fixed. Mm -hmm. Blair says, oh, you've got to feel like you're stupid and he's smart or you've got to. Yeah, you gotta you gotta downplay that. And um, and Blair says uh, there are two basic truths: no man is an island, and always let the boy win. Yes. And it's like ooh, and it's one of those things where oh my god, that is horrible. It's true, but it's horrible. Yeah. Well, and then she also says later, doesn't she say something like? Uh, it's like an outfit that you slip into, and that's where the Texas twang came out. Yeah. Slip into it like a negligee. Yeah, that's right. She says, um, uh, make him think he's in charge, even though he isn't. You have to, and she, she discusses the delicate nature of the male ego. And she says, you have the power. You just need to wear it right. You can't just throw it on like a leather jacket. 
you have to slip into it like a negligee. Like yeah. a negligee. Yeah, her and twang. It, she must have just gone home. Like they must have been on a. They must have had a week off where she went home to Texas. Joe's great responses. I'm not doing anything weird. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. <laughs> and then, and then, who Natalie or someone says, "No, that's not what she's talking about, is it?" Yeah, yeah. Natalie is a great, yeah, little again, little perfect timing. Yeah. But Natalie does say that thing: a woman of the '80s should have it all. It's so funny, I'm referencing my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, Tootsie, mm-hmm. and the point when Jessica Lange says to Dustin Hoffman in drag. Don't you find it difficult being a woman of the 80s? And Dustin Hoffman's response is, extremely. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny. It's hilarious. It's just that, but there was, I remember that term because, you know, we were we were barely toddlers when right. the 70s hit. But this term, the woman of the 80s, because we were now a decade into the well, feminist. And remember, and remember that we started to see these strong women. We started to see them on Dallas. We started to see them on Falcon Crest. Stephanie Zimbalist, we knew, ran what was Remington Steel. She had to act like he was in charge when it was really her that was the brain. There was Because I'm Worth It, L'Oreal all over. Uh-huh. We started to see Patrick Nagel do his artwork, which even though it was sexual, women were in power there yeah they, they weren't any shy sort of half covering women they were like nope this is me this is me naked here's everything and by the way cool earrings you know so yeah 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 no i it's Put yeah women it's, in shoulder pads and you know it was about yeah strength. the power the, the the term power suit never mm-hmm. didn't exist till the 80 that was and it's a, like an armor almost right yeah yeah and and again with the corporatization of our culture in the 80s a big part of that was now we had women the the image you think of Bette Midler in Big Business, right. where it's the woman in uh, a tailored business suit but with sneakers on because she's walking from the subway right. to her job, but then she takes the sneakers off and puts on her heels. Or a little later, Sigourney Weaver in Working Girls, <clears throat> right? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah, and, and Melanie Griffith too. Yeah, that, yeah. later, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So it's it absolutely is. This is a very timely. Uh, subject matter to be dealing with because this really was a turning point culturally for us that I don't think we realize that a lot of people don't think in hindsight. Right. Uh, so before we, we leave this scene, though, we have to address earlier before it really they get into that discussion. This is where um, Mrs. Garrett says to Joe, did you talk to him? All Joe has been talking about is the conversations and this and that. And then Mrs. Garrett is like, did you talk to him? And it's like she's been recounting yeah. their interactions. Yes, she's been talking to him. One, yeah. One but, of the jokes that I love at this point is when Joe gets upset and Natalie just kind of peeks in and goes, oh, latent psychosis with neurotic undertones. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> I just loved it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Natalie was really kind of on fire comedically. Well, I mean, as, because I think they actually put in the psychology just so they could have some humor. Yeah. It's like the writers were smart enough to go, wow, this sort of feminist episode, hard to come by the humor. Yeah, true. And Mrs. Garrett does say, uh, it's only the first day. It may take some getting used to. And then um, Joe says, yeah, I thought Doug was such a progressive, open-minded guy. And Natalie says, "Uh, well, when it comes to women's lib, it's one thing when they're reading it in Newsweek, but not the same in real life. So the Newsweek question, why did she mention Newsweek? Was Newsweek under the same um, media umbrella as NBC? Why didn't they, she mention like Time or something else? Eh, like, 
I don't. I don't believe. I mean, I was a little curious. Like, did did the same company own Newsweek? But I mean, you know, NBC wasn't corporate owned by like Time Warner. Okay. Like we didn't have that. You know, NBC was. That's true. That comes yeah. later. That comes later. That comes yeah. But that whole scene in the cafeteria was all overacting. Did you notice that? Well, they just. Judy it's still film theater. Yeah. It's still film theater, and well, and on top of that. Is it that they only they have two cameras in the cafeteria set and they only have one camera in the motorcycle shop? No, it's usually three cameras everywhere. Jeebus, because they're like the motorcycle shop. You're like, why is it blocked? Yeah, the, this the way? camera blocking and the physical blocking in the motorcycle shop was odd and seemed off. But in this conversation, we get to the point where Mrs. Garrett reveal she drops a fucking bomb on the girls and on us as right. longtime facts of life fans i did not remember this when paul padilla and i were talking about it he mentioned i was like what i don't remember this mrs garrett says well back when howard the chef was working for me and we were dating it was tough for him sometimes to be working for me and all the girls thankfully just like us were like Wait a minute. What? And they say, our Howard. Right. That worked here. The chef. Right. The one that we were introduced in the first episode of season two. Correct. Yeah. The chauvinist pig, the second, by the way. Sec- second episode, because it was a two-part episode. Yeah, second ep- But it's like, you know, and he is portrayed as a, at one point, he says something like, women shouldn't be whatever. And, and Natalie's response is, oh, what else are we serving? Chauvinist pig? Right. Because he is not portrayed in that initial scene. And it brings me back to the point, Mrs. Garrett, why are you dating an employee? Yeah. Why are you? No. Yeah. That you Her should age. know better. Yeah, yeah. You should way know better. Yes. So they're all completely shocked, and and rightfully so. And Howard was on, by the way, six episodes, I believe, is all we ever saw Howard. So he was barely there, Mm -hmm. barely there. And and then he went away, and it's like, apparently they don't need him. Well, she broke up with him. (laughs) And got him fired. Right. That's what you do when you date your employees. That's your place. Of work. And there's no lawsuit whatsoever. Yeah. She put a rat in a rump roast or something. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But um, so on Mrs. Garrett's exit, the overacting. Tootie. Especially. Tootie, they're like, Tootie, I think they might have even let Kim Fields improvise a little. Because she's all, what? I cannot believe it. How long were you together? Why didn't you tell us? I thought we were a family around. And she just is going at it until she's off stage. Right. I think they're going to the kitchen for more pie. What does she say she's doing? She's a rump roast calling her name, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, And it's, again, where the girls start prying. And Mrs. Garrett's like... Um, no, this conversation's over, and I'm right. not telling you anything more. Relating back to that Joe thing. Because of, I was dating an employee. Yeah, exactly. Unethical. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it was just very, very weird. Anyway, we go back to uh, the bike shop, and still problems with Joe and Doug, and what? Mrs. Garrett and the girls pop in again. All of them. Because they felt so welcome there last time. Right. They come in, and uh, no sooner do they get there than Joe sort of starts to try to take Blair's advice. And she's like, um, 
trying oh, to. Oh, gee, Doug, I can't even figure out what this thing with two wheels is. Yeah, <laughs> she basically. The long and short of this scene is that while the girls are there, Joe does try to sort of implement some Blairisms of. Um, well, you know, I said it was this, it could be that, you know, I could be wrong. And the one thing that I really, really laughed at, because this is what television should do, was Mrs. Garrett's face. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> she I, looked like she smelled something bad. Like, it was what a, the hell is going on here? Yeah. It was just, it was this great face. Yeah. And I feel like sitcoms should do that more, right? Yeah. Just, Show those really funny reactions, because... It, she didn't need a line. Yeah. She didn't need a line. <laughs> no. And then, yeah. And so Joe overshoots it. She's clearly not doing a good job at it. No. And like you said, she says something like, it's a wonder I can fix anything. It's not even like she smelled something bad. It's like she smelled something that she couldn't even identify. Yeah. She was just completely <laughs> gobsmacked. <laughs> and so in that same shot, <laughs> Natalie... Perfect time. Natalie is a great Eve Arden in this episode. Yes, She's yes. really good. And Natalie just goes, Joe, get over here. <laughs> just like, a, what the fuck? And even Blair, even Blair says. Oh, oh, no. She says, what are you doing? And then she says, oh, no, one of them, one of them says, what are you doing? You're acting just like Blair. And Blair says, it's disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at one point, Joe says, I'm doing what you told me to do. And Blair said, you pretending like you don't know motorcycles is like me pretending I'm not fabulous or I'm not yeah. s- spectacular. Yeah, exactly. And she said, I told you to play helpless, not brainless. Right. But in the course of, and what she's saying is, thankfully, um, you're not being yourself is really right. what it's coming down to. Um, and Mrs. Garrett gets a little speech in there. Yeah, exactly. And um, she says, um, I forget how we get into this, but I wrote this down. I think I, I quoted this. She says, he'll want you to be everything you can be, not just what he feels comfortable with. And in the course of her... In the course of Joe trying to delegate work to Doug to make and him appease him and appease him and make him feel better, she's given and, him and it does look like it's working. By the way, she's given him something that Mister Garrow particularly and specifically gave her. Yeah, and told her, "I want you to do this." So, and she says, "But maybe Doug could." He's like, "No, you." And he's working on something for a customer who's waiting. Well, Joe goes ahead and does it anyway, and no sooner does it happen. Mr. What is it? Mr. Keto Reno Garrow um, comes in and just fires her. Basically or says demotes her right in front of everyone. He demotes her in front of everybody. Thank yeah. you for your sensitivity, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. But um, he says, "Look, I'm not firing you. You're a good mechanic. You're just not a good manager." And go back. I'm just putting you back where you were. And yeah. they're and like Joe's response is. She feels like she could have done it. Yeah, she job. says, I could have done this. I could have. And um, and then she goes back and gets a little dig into Doug at the end. But, but no, Doug suddenly is all sweet, sweet to her. Time. It's like the in the sitcom, the moods turn on a dime. Right. It is, uh, yeah. So he right. comes and, and he's and like... When he even, see, this is part of the reason I think Doug sucks as an actor. Because when he tells her, I'm just only really comfortable when you're in this position and I'm in this position. or Yeah. You know, he looks at her dead in the eye like, who wants to admit that they're that much of an asshole by staring at the other person in the face? I, like, Okay. I, yeah, I guess I see that. Yeah, he has no, he has no discomfort. 
Oh, I see what you mean. But do do asshole chauvinist pig men oh, have any know. discomfort? I'm sure that was part of the layered nuance yeah, to yeah, the yeah. intent he's, of he's this. He's an onion. <laughs> but no sooner does all this happen that he, the girls all say, oh, you just got fired. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so, you need support now? We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and so... What they, did they leave before he demotes her? That might have happened before. I think yeah, he might I have kicked I don't him remember, out. but I don't know. I hope they didn't. I hope what we just said is true. Actually, actually, he kicks. He does kick them out. Finally, before he says, "I have to talk to my staff. Get the fuck out." And they yeah, do. Finally, exactly. So, um, so then the official demotion happens, and then Doug is all kind of like, "Hey, hey well, tough, to dating. tough, well, tough break. Let's go get some lunch." He's, you're supposed to be working on that motorcycle for someone who's waiting. Right. Fucker. Um, so he's like, let's go out and we'll split a pizza, my treat. And then Joe turns and she says, so everything's okay with us? Just like that? And he goes, yeah, I know I was acting weird before. I guess I just need things to be a certain way. And Joe Staring goes, her in the face like yeah. it's, the, it's okay. Yeah, Exactly. Men, phew, men are the worst. And then she says, uh, yeah, no thanks. And he says, let's come on, let's go get that pizza. And she's like, no thanks. I'm going to have lunch with my friends. And then she turns back over her shoulder and says, oh, and by the way, that thing you're working on, it's not the carburetor, it's the timing coils. Right. Quick freeze, roll credits. For all the long, slow, pensive, it's okay. infinite dissolves we've tolerated in this that's a good tight smack and leave. It was a tight smack and leave. But like you say, we didn't even get a reaction shot from him. Nope. Probably, you're right, It probably because it wasn't much to... To react on. He just... He, dead it was just a duh. Yeah. yeah. So it was probably a flat line anyway. So you're probably... Yeah. You were right. Your, your, your assessment like of him... Like a brain-dead Richard Greco. <laughs> so that's the end of the show. Do you do you think what? Okay, final assessment. Good, bad. Did the message that they were aiming for come through? I, you know, I think the parts where they let the jokes be the jokes and the lines just sit on the lines and let the people react hmm. makes this a better show than I remember the show being in typical. Like I like the I like that ending and then just leave. Yeah. I did. I did. I thought this. There's some smart stuff here. I wish they could have bumped it up a bit and done yeah. more of it. Yeah, I think maybe the ending, I wanted her to walk out and there should have been a wide shot of just him standing there, even if it was his back. Three quarters. A three quarters type of a thing. I think having, I think it would have been an even stronger thing to show her literally walking out on him. Right. But, um. And then he drops the rag and then he starts crying. (laughs) And then he drops to his knees and goes, Stella! (laughs) No! (laughs) But, um. Yeah, the uh, the message came through. It would have been nice if the attempts to appease him, uh, it would have been nicer if we somehow could have reverse engineered this episode to give that scene a little more breathing room. Because they it didn't have rushed. time. Joe had to very quickly well, shift gears, do that. And her entire, you know, classmates and, and yeah. house mom were there watching her do it. It was... Ugh. Yeah, yeah. There, there were some very clunky, like, expositional things that they did that I thought, you know, a, a good writer would have stepped back and said, okay, how do we make this more practical and probable? Yeah. In fact, I think I would have preferred the scene, that last scene, to not have Mrs. Garrett and the girls. It should have just been Joe working, 
to do the appeasing thing and the delegating, we didn't even need them in there. It could have, they could have more subtly had her trying it and then fucking it up. I or, mean, or honestly, don't have all the girls there. Just have Blair, because Blair's checking. Oh, on you're the right. Car. Just have Blair. You're right. You're totally right. Just have Blair there checking on and, the car. And then, yeah, and that would have been a good reminder, a good touchstone. That's one of the things that you need to think about in sitcoms. They don't really all need to be there. It's like simplify and tighten it up, make it funny, make yeah. it tight. You know. Exactly. I I agree. But the fact that this is a message about feminism, about saying to this the first and only show on network television with an all-female starring cast to say you know what fuck men and the fact that we have to do shit to appease them and play a role to stroke their egos and make them comfortable yeah it didn't give all the answers though it kind of just left it where it was you know and i think the other thing is time has told us that her managing him and dating him, and Edna managing and dating Howard. Yeah, those are problematic. Yeah, at that's, least that's totally a, a different time era. And I, I'm not sure it was even really wildly acceptable back in the early '80s for a boss yeah. to date an employee. Yeah, probably not. But you know, that's that's what happens when you let women into the workforce. You fuck it up. Yeah, they do. Before when it was just all men and none of them wanted to bone each other. That, yeah, sure, no. <laughs> so the final uh, uh, happy, regardless of whether the episode is good or bad, I think we're leaning in the good category good, good here. Category. But, I'd give it like a B or B minus. Yeah, I think I would say that too. But uh, what I've been doing now is then, regardless of how we liked the episode... Let's end the podcast on the happy note of name a commercial from your childhood that you think of off the top of your head that makes you happy. Oh, gosh. I never I never even thought about this. You know... Um, you listen to the show, too. That's so I know, weird. I do, I do, I do. And I watched a lot of Saturday morning cartoons with my friends, the DeBoards. Um, I think, honestly, I remember the Kool-Aid commercials. Oh, hey, Kool-Aid! Yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I, dis- I feel like I discussed that with somebody. I feel like that's come up before because I feel like I remember talking about how as a kid I was fascinated with in the early commercials, his mouth didn't move. Right. And then in the later commercials, it would just move on the oh yeah at the end and it was clearly hand drawn in. Right. Frame by frame. But you got to realize that during the early 80s, we got to go through the great Kool-Aid renaissance where we got, you know, blue raspberry. And we got all those weird flavors that, you know. Yeah, tropical punch and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Before it was just red. Red. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was, you know, cherry or lime or orange orange or lemon. Yeah, it was straight up. Yeah, the the exotical. Yeah, the red raspberry, which was like one of my (gasps) favorites. Red raspberry. But the blue raspberry, I remember quite clearly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fabulous. Well, Steve, I can't think of a better way to spend Christmas night <laughs> with my best friend. You can't. I can't <laughs> because my life is sad. Yeah. But um, It might be that intellect thing you were talking about. Maybe. 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 <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for doing this, for intruding, allowing me to intrude on our personal time when we would normally be celebrating Christmas together. We already did the family thing earlier today, and typically you and I. We, we like to do the Christmas story Chinese food. Yeah, we do. Tradition. We, we didn't do that this year. No. But it's okay. That makes it more special the other years. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so uh, any parting words to my fives of listeners before I send you home never to return? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe my parting words are maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Oh, Uh, oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Gosh, parting words. Um, Don't date your coworkers or employees. Good. Bravissimo. Bravissimo. So, uh, Steve, thank you for being a friend. No, that's the wrong show. I can't can't say that to you here. That's the wrong show. No, I will say it. Thank you for being a friend. I uh, love that you finally got on the show. You are one of the people I've said you're in my back pocket. When I need you, I need you. And it's the holidays. And I've been so busy and scheduling things is challenging this time of year for an actor. Go figure. So do come back. I hope to have you back to the house sometime very soon. <laughs> like probably tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say good night and goodbye. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was Steve Miller. That is my BFF. A uh, little corrections corner. I said that Howard was in six episodes of the show back in season two. Uh, I was wrong. He was only in four, only four episodes. So he didn't last long before Mrs. Garrett chewed him up and spat him out, huh? Uh, And the other thing is that we were talking about Kool-Aid. The other person I had talked about that with was Joy Anderson. That was in episode 39 of the podcast from season three, episode 10, Cousin Jerry Returns. So moving on, next week, I'm going to be watching season four, episode eight, Daddy's Girl. And my very special guest is going to be Matthew Arder. So that's all I've got to say. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle facethefactspod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>